Hello, Metaworking Nation. Jim here. You know what was the most impressive feature when we converted to ProShop? It was having all the data in one spot. I remember years ago, a short three years ago, creating vendor POs in Word. Then I'd have to store it on the Google Drive. And then I'd have to copy and edit every time to create a new PO. Then we'd have to print a paper copy, pass it on to admin, and have the admin enter it in our old ERP system. ProShop now has everything in the cloud, and it links that PO cost automatically to the work order. So I can see if we're making money, because as you know, if you're not making ships, you're not making money. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host of 250-ish episodes, Jim Carr, and we are here at Car Machine and Tools. So if you hear those machines buzzing in the background, that's because if you're not making chips... You're not making money. <laughs> but this episode is not over yet. <laughs> no, it's not. It's only begun. But thanks for the intro. Yeah, we are at Car Machine today. We've got a very special guest, big ambassador to manufacturing, and a big ambassador to making chips as well. Jim, 2020 is a, a weird year. And I know that you and I are doing fine in 2020. You're really pushing your top line, getting into production. I've been working on my, my top line for the last 10 years. We've been growing at a rapid rate. And now we're working on some other bottom line profitability. But not everybody is, is thriving like we're thriving. There's a lot of manufacturing leaders out there who are just suffering a little bit. Have you heard any stories from your peers? I know you and I have a lot of connections in the industry. What are you hearing from friends? Absolutely. I, I'm hearing that things are down. I mean, our, our co-host, Nick, his family business is down as mm -hmm, well. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure our guest is going to tell us a little bit about how, how they see and are predicting things. But it's definitely a weird vibe going on right now. I've lived through many recessions, and I've talked about those recessions on the show for 240 episodes. Yep. This one's a little have you different. Heard, have you heard any like just really bad stories that you would share no, with the nothing, metalworking nation? Nothing. I haven't heard anybody's gone out of business. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you something that's really strange. Back in 08, during the Great Recession, I think manufacturers got hit really hard. Mm -hmm. At that time, I noticed every day I'd get two, three, four auction right. notices a day. Yep. And a day. My dad used to stack them up on his desk. And that was a telltale sign that Things manufacturers were, were going out of business. Yeah. I'm not I still get those, but not nearly the way I got them in a way. Well, the, the one thing that I don't understand is like that urge to like say we're closed. Because if if it were me, I'd be... What do you mean closed out of business or yeah, closed yeah. just... Yeah, because just, if it were me and I was in those shoes, I'd be like, I'm the last man standing. And as long as there's some parts for me to make, I'll stand alone in the shop and yeah, make them. It's tough though, Jason, because you know what I saw in OA, and I didn't know if you wanted to go down this rabbit hole, but I, I'm willing to talk about it because I think it's relevant to what's happening right now or potentially could happen. I saw a lot of machine shops. That's all I can talk about. I saw a lot of machine shops really like cut pricing to keep the that doors happens. open. Yeah. And I mentioned this to somebody the other day. I don't know who it was. And what I saw is 
everyone was undercutting, undercutting, under because they wanted to retain their good employees and they wanted to keep the doors open, just what you said. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they continually kept undercutting and let me tell you in the short term it doesn't it doesn't seem to really bother you but in the long term you're slowly eroding your profit it's a dangerous path it's dangerous yeah. and the thing is if the shops aren't sophisticated and don't have the correct metrics and data to show that they're losing money the next thing you know is the bank dries up the line of credits to the max credit cards are all the way up there. The owner's not taking any paycheck and people are starting to knock on the door because they're not paying their invoices. Yeah, and That's when it catches up to you and bites you right in the butt. I agree because a lot of people are really just concerned about the short term when they're making those kind of decisions. And it's hard to think about the fact that all of these things come to an end at some point. You know what I mean? What Whatever kind of like forces are in play that have brought us to the place that we're at right now, there's going to be a change happening in the near future and you need to be willing to endure some of those troubles and get through to the end without like doing something bad to your business, like undercutting yourself right. in a way that you can't recover from. And that, that, that could be that the worst thing That pricing thing is just... It's very easy to cut prices. It is. But it's dangerous. It's, but this is a tough time, and there, I, I have a lot of empathy for people that are you know, stuck in industries that are really suffering right now, like oil and gas. Automotive has been bad for a while, although that might be recovering a little bit. And there's some other industries out there. Aviation in certain areas, aerospace. is. is it's really all EVs suffering. nowadays, right? Well, EVs and space, you know? So a little bit different than commercial and your normal gas cars. So things are Exactly. rapidly. So we're going to talk about, in this episode of Making Chips, we're going to talk about how Zometry has pivoted during COVID and how it's changed them as a company. But before we go there, Jim, tell me something great going on at Car Machine and Tool. Well, we just took a tour through the shop and, you know, we're at capacity. And I, I know our guest said, oh, it looks so great. And I'm like, oh my God, it looks like we're, we're a mess. To me, it looks like we're a mess because I'm just seeing, I'm drowning in in junk, mm-hmm. but it, it's not. It just, and I you're just getting ready to move and all that down. kind of stuff. But yeah. the good news is we're adding our fourth brand new CNC machine in the last six months on Friday. Nice. And you've got another, some new tool holders to buy for me? Is that I do, I do. We, we, we need to talk. Actually, quite frankly, we do. Yeah, we need the capacity, so... I'm anxious to get that in. I'm anxious to move. I've got, I've got a lot happening right now, a lot of moving pieces, but I'll get there. Yeah. Jim... I have some manufacturing news that kind of struck me that that's been in the back of my mind for a while now because from the moment that this was announced, I had a bad feeling in my gut about this. And so what some was of the, the what was some of the information bad is gut fine. Feeling? Did, yeah, did you throw of, up? No, I didn't. Did you want to throw up? A little bit. Okay. It's not going to affect my life too much, but But I had a bad feeling about it. And some of the information has finally come to light. So this news article came from The Hill and the title says, an investigative report by The Verge found that an electronic manufacturing complex promised by Foxconn in Wisconsin did not meet its requirements to operate. Now, I don't know who The Verge is. Apparently, they're maybe like another news publication or something like that. But do you remember when... And that the big announcement yeah. came on Foxconn and Wisconsin was just, you know, oh. they were just on top of the world. They were, it you was know, a big PR. Oh, it was a big, it was a big deal. PR and like, you know, we're going to be the new high tech center of the country, if not the Midwest. And it was a big deal. And I knew in the back of my mind, 
and you know, even people in my industry, they were talking about this is going to be the biggest consumer of end mills in the entire country, and they're going to be making all this stuff. Like people at first thought they were going to make iPhones there, and then they talked about LCD screens, but they were like, they're just going to be doing so much milling and so much metal removal. And I'm like, I don't see that happening. I mean, like, I might be wrong, but I just... Well, who I dropped see, the ball? What, what well, happened? Well, I think that... How about I read the article? Two years after breaking ground on what was supposed to be a 20 million square foot LCD manufacturing complex, the Taiwan-based company received a permit to convert their facilities into storage, according to the report. So Foxconn, for those of you that don't know, they're the manufacturer of the iPhone amongst other electronics products. So oh, I didn't know if, that they were the manufacturer of the iPhone. there was all these stories about this manufacturing plant in like Taiwan or China, I think it was in China, where people would literally like jump. They First of all, it was like a college campus. Like you would live at the manufacturing plant. And the working conditions were so severe that people would jump off their balconies from like essentially this housing. Suicidal? Yeah. Why? Because it was the work conditions were just so they were just, it eroded. Was, it was like they worked 12 sevens. Oh my God. Or no, I'm sorry. They worked seven twelves. And, That's 96, um, right? It was just That's 96 and hours I don't a week. Know, I, I don't want to like spread rumors. I don't know how much this stuff is true and false. People can look into them, this themselves. But it wasn't a good situation. It wasn't the way that like a human being should be treated in a work environment. And they were like, oh, great. We're bringing this to the United States. We're going to make these low-cost iPhones here. And it just was unsettling to me because I just knew how this company conducted themselves overseas. I'm like, how can we trust them here in the United States? So these things came true. So... In 2018, Foxconn promised the new complex would bring 13,000 wow. jobs. Um, and every state loves to hear that, every right? State because lo- it's going to help increase and, their and economy. And Wisconsin fought tooth and nail for this. You and know, this location was just over the Illinois border, Just right? over the border. Yeah. yeah, it was in like the Kenosha area yes. of Wisconsin, which right. is just over the border of Illinois. Yep. Finally, like I hope that they didn't get a lot. I know, obviously, Wisconsin and probably the federal government wasted a lot of money in other ways, but they didn't qualify for a lot of the tax credits due to the number of people that they did not hire. But it says in 2019, they were trying to game the system. They hired hundreds of people in the last two months of the year in order to try to meet their quota. And then they begin laying off all those people in January. I know. It's I been mean, an absolute mess. It, you know, it's one of those nightmares that Wisconsin should be a little embarrassed about it, quite frankly, because you would have thought that they had the wherewithal to make sure that they were dealing with the company that was going to be honest and the throughput was going to actually happen, and it obviously didn't. It didn't. Yeah. So I'm going to read another quote from the article. It says, The real cost of the facility appears to have fallen on the shoulders of state and local governments with more than $400 million spent on land and infrastructure on behalf of the company that it will likely never use. $400 yeah. million. Dollars. That could keep a lot of families busy for a long, a long time. time. Yeah. And, so do you know it's do they say what they're going to do with that property or is yeah, it's going to be converted say- to storage? Oh, okay. And and they're just using it for things unrelated to manufacturing. I thought wasn't Amazon going to go into that facility for? They've a while? already got a facility there. Yeah, and perhaps we need to learn some lessons from this. You know, we need to be not so aggressive about wanting to take every single piece of business that we can and just be smarter in the future. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I, I do. This is, you know, a dangerous road that some of these states went down competing with each other. And I think that this is what happens. So Jim, could you introduce our guest? 
I would be happy to. It is, is my absolute pleasure to introduce our guest today. As I said, she's a big ambassador for A, for manufacturing, B, for making chips. And I think, I think all around, she's just a great ambassador in general. And it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know her. But I will read her bio right now. For those manufacturing leaders who are not familiar with Zometry, a manufacturing demand platform, I would highly recommend that you listen to some of our past episodes with their team, particularly episodes 122 and 189, or they will be posted to the show notes for this episode. There's also been a few more as well. We just don't have those episode numbers at the at our fingertips. But anyway, Jen Ryan is here in our studio today at Car Machine and Tool. She is the Senior Vice President of Global Network Operations. Jen joined Zometry with over 25 years of experience, leading operations for RR Donnelly, ADP, and Infosys. While the Division Vice President of Global Operations for ADP, Jen was recognized by the state of Texas for creating more than 1,500 jobs in El Paso, Texas. And in 2016, she opened ADP's European Language Center of Excellence in Romania. Her global leadership experience includes Mexico, Europe, India, Sri Lanka, the Philippines, and the Caribbean. Jen is the co-founder of the ASHA Foundation, a Mumbai-based organization that provides housing, healthcare, and education to orphan girls. Jen Ryan, welcome to Making Chips. It's a pleasure to have you here. My mouth hurts from smiling. I am so excited <laughs> to be here. Yeah, welcome, Jen. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, it's definitely a pleasure to have you here. So, Jen, you're a big traveler. Mm. And how has 2020 affected your life? Like, what about the day-to-day operation of Zometry? How has that changed? Because I know, like, with my company, we never stopped operating. So, And I know Jim is much the same thing. I remember when this whole COVID stuff happened, I, like, wrote out this official document. Like, this person is authorized. We're an essential business. We have to, you know, yada, yada, yada. I have to serve Jim Carr and the other machine shops that are doing important work. And I gave these pieces of paper to my team so that they can have them in their car in case they got pulled over. What about Zometry? Like you guys aren't like you have an office. So are, have people completely shifted to working from home? So I'm going to answer that in two parts. Okay. So one is Zometry never shut its door. And in fact, I issued of hundreds of essential business letters. Yeah. And I'm going to come back to that. The second part was, and I think for all of us at this table, you're always thinking about how do I put my foot on my gas for my strengths. And engagement is one of the places where I really get a lot of energy and I I hope I give energy. And so the other part was we all had to figure out different ways to engage. I'm somebody who prefers to deal in person, had to get good at Zoom, had to get good at stuff with manufacturing colleagues. We had to get good at ways to engage. So we started doing Tai Chi over Zoom to open and close our meetings. We did a lot of kind of fun things. And I'm sure other people have done that. But I just wanted to mention we had to learn to engage differently. Yeah, we know. You guys too. So back to the point about being an essential manufacturer. So we issued a lot of those letters. We did. We ended up talking a lot to partners about what do you need. And I wanted to go back to this kind of earlier comment you guys were making about I wouldn't seed the fight, right? I don't meet people who need the will. The people I meet in manufacturing and these small and medium businesses, they need the way. Mm-hmm. And that is a theme for me is 
It's not about the will. What do you mean they need the way? way. Let's, let's, because that's important to define. Sure. So what do you mean the way? Well, and it's one of the reasons, like, I won't work somewhere that I don't believe in the vision and what we're doing. Oh, of course. I'm not, yep. you know, yep. I'm not a philant, I'm not a professional philanthropist. Right. I'm lucky enough to be able to choose to work somewhere that I think we're doing something important. In fact, I know we are at Zometry. So I'm meeting small manufacturers who almost every day I get a GoFundMe request because people have health problems, because a relative has passed away and they don't have money for the burial because of a flooding of their home. That's who I'm working with. I don't meet people who don't have a strength of character. Here's what they need. They need cash flow. They need revenue. They need talent. They've got to figure out a way to compete for talent against the big guys down the street. And sometimes these things can seem insincere. I really mean this. Working at Zometry, we are able to shorten that distance between what they need to give them the way so they can do the work. Right. And that's really, I talk a lot about things being a calling to you, whether it's your family or your profession or your avocation. And this is why I'm called Zometry. So very specifically during COVID, we really externalized our approach. We did have an incredible, I come from working internationally, so my BCP, my business continuity practice is strong, but really talking to these partners about what do you need to stay in business? And they were able to be very specific. I need $200,000 in revenue this month. Well, we can give you that. I need to get supplies and I don't have any money in the bank. Well, you know what? We introduced quickly some products. I hate it when people talk about finances as, as products tools, ways, so so that they could buy things, so that they could do the work. The third thing, and I'm obsessed with talking about this, is that we think of these things in a binary way. A small shop says, "I can't, can I do that job? And we really worked with them to think something differently. What part of that job can I do? So instead of a binary question, I can or can't do it, a big thing we brought to the COVID approach with our manufacturers was, can you do part of this job? Because I'll, we got somebody else who can do the other part. I mean, like, let's just say they can only do the turning aspect right. or they can only do the milling aspect. That's right. They can only wire EDM a, a slot. A hundred percent. Okay. And hey, maybe I'm, maybe I just don't do assembly. And when I got to Zometry, I could see that we, not everyone had had that very opportunity because we looked at these things only in the composite. It was a yes or no. And through COVID and in, we had a formal business resili- resiliency program that we used to keep our shops that were in trouble in business. And one of the things we did was really look at these projects differently. Not can you do the project or not, but in this network, we can find somebody to finish it. We can find somebody to do the assembly. We can find those people. So here's how this came down. We were actually able to bring all this energy about the provider saying, or the partner saying, I need work. I need help. We landed those in a couple different ways. We came up with, we financed, so we allowed you to deduct against your future invoice all of your supplies. People were like, what? You'll do that? And here's the thing. We figured out how to do that within a couple days. So we met with these folks as a group, which is also not something that Zometry had done before. Hey, I'm going to talk to all of you together. And everyone was afraid except for these troubled manufacturers. They're like, I'd love to be on the phone with these people. But the real, I think the real innovation here was cash flow products, trusting the partners, not sitting around thinking about what they want, but ask them. And then the final one was this disaggregation piece. Tell us what you can do. And then for customers, we flipped that to be able to say to customers, it's a dangerous time to have all your work in one shop. I'm going to put you in four shops in four geographic zones 
and your work will continue. Very interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. That's and, a strategy for yeah. sure. And, and you know, you talked about like helping customers with the way, and I think that's one of the reasons why we created Making Chips in the first place is we saw this void in people understanding the way for manufacturing leaders to view their leadership. Like, how do I get more sales? How do I get more marketing? How do I manage my team? And, you know, and it wasn't well, that Jim and HR, I, it certainly wasn't Jim that had the answers. I wasn't going no. to him for that. And you know, wasn't necessarily coming and you know, to me. And here's like, the thing. I'm not highly educated, formally educated, and I'm not the most intelligent guy in too, but I do have a great work ethic. I do have a lot of common sense. And guess what? I do know manufacturing well, but you know really what, well. The yes. biggest thing, Jim, is that Making Chips brought the community together, which yes. I think is a lot of like what you guys are trying to do, especially from, like, from an operational standpoint. And you know, Jim and I are trying to do it from like a leadership standpoint. But I think just that collaboration is just so vitally important for our industry. And you know, if you were to, like a lot of our, the metalworking nation, they start from the very beginning of making chips and you have almost this curriculum that you go through, which certainly has helped my business and I know has helped your business as well, Jim. It has helped my business. There's no question about it. So Jen, what about your manufacturing partners? What have you seen from them that has been great and not so great? And how has it impacted the DNA of Zometry? And at the end of this, I want I want to hear some success stories from your partners because I I like to hear success stories. I think the metalworking nation likes to hear success stories because what it does is it makes us all feel human. And I think it's also important to learn from mistakes. The mistakes absolutely, a hundred a hundred percent. Okay, so. What I saw that's working really well, so I think of a veteran-owned three-person shop in New Jersey, and this is the pride in every shop I see, from San Francisco to Pensacola, is something that speaks to me. This shop in New Jersey had not necessarily had had to have a posture of asking for help. So what I saw that was beautiful was really thinking of his two employees, this gentleman, and saying, I could literally hear him take a deep breath because we offered this program to all of our micro shops. And the bravery of saying, you know what, I've built this beautiful business, but something's happened. Many of, of his clients were pharmaceutical, and there was an immediate kind of cessation of all their programs at the start of COVID. And so he had no business. So so one thing I want to praise is what it takes to have built something yourself and say, I need help. You know what, Jen? I think that that's, that's very insightful because, Jim, going back to like our initial conversation when you were going back to 2008 and a lot of these shops shutting down, I think that there was a sense of pride these, oh, these yes. manufacturing leaders had where they didn't want to tell anybody they were in trouble. Right. And then all of a sudden, it's well, like, I to... literally can't even open the doors anymore because I can't afford to do it. Right. And it's failure. You know, no, one likes to... To, no one likes to be vulnerable well, but you have and to show be. failure. But you have to be. And that's one of the reasons why we talk about manufacturing is challenging. But if you bring that community of leaders together, that's where you're most more powerful. That's right. And when we had this gentleman on the phone with somebody who was in trouble in the Detroit area and someone who was in trouble in the Houston area and someone who was in trouble in Los Angeles, we were able to really impart a feeling, this is not about blaming, naming, shaming. I have no time for that. With, with what started to happen with my small manufacturers, there was nothing they could have done or been, right? This has always been a cash flow challenged business. If you had $2 million in the bank, you'd probably be doing something else, mm-hmm. right? You love manufacturing, so this is what you do. Right. So I use that as a success story is really then the, I appreciate that you grabbed that, Jason, which was the sense of community in disparate locations and disparate backgrounds that started to crop up around our resiliency program. The willingness to try different things, right? 
from Ice Service Pharmaceutical or maybe in the Detroit area, I'm associated with automotive and to say, you know what, we've got a PPE opportunity and it's going to involve you doing something very different in a different way, in a different flow. And we know how hard it is to change when there's not a business imperative and to do it under stress. So I think that went really well. Then the insight, articulating your own needs is a big challenge. So saying I need help is... I, I need help is the first part. These folks joined me in the crucible to say, okay, because I would say to each of them, tell me what you need. I need this much revenue. I can't even like order I need two hundred thousand dollars in revenue a month just to hit my right. to hit my break even. That's right. Yeah. And once you start talking to us that way at Zometry, because of the the diversity of our customers, we can probably find something for you. I don't have any money to. I really cannot order the supplies to take the jobs. Okay, we can we can find that out. And then finally, it came to cash flow solutions. And we figured out we, where you start is where you can start. And that's one thing I like about working for Zometry is you can start with, well, we pay net 30. And our partners love that we pay on time net 30. But in this program, we knew that paying them faster was going to make a difference. So we started paying within this program. Once you had accepted and finished a job, you could be paid within three days of being finished. Wow. That turned into a program that is now one of our most popular financial programs, which is we turned that on for everyone. So everyone can access their funds within 48 hours through one program. Another so is one, it kind of like, like a little internal factoring? It is. Yeah. You know what? And I like that you said that because we are thinking all the time about as a three-person shop where my specialty is manufacturing, right. the distance for me to get to a factoring firm right. and get in that kind of relationship. Yeah, just, fa- I mean, I'm sorry. What is a factoring firm? To kind of simplify it Factoring would be you're just attributing a cost to accelerating your payment. So somebody would go to you and say, oh, you know, Jim, oh, I'll oh, buy oh. your receivables and it's going to cost you this much. So, I understand. you know, it's kind of like with everything, there's a service cost to everything. And for some people, they'd rather not pay that amount of money. But for some people, they're like, yeah, I'd rather pay the money and is it you know, like get a two percent right ten? It's, it's it's so variable. Because, yeah. yeah. And I, the trend to homeostasis is a business axiom, right? Yeah. I want to I want to keep being great at what I was great at. And one of the what can be a magic moment in business and Americans are particularly great at it is reacting to the imperative. An American business, when it has to change, no one can beat us. It's hard for us to change when there's not the burning platform. Exactly. But when I, what I saw these small manufacturers doing and what they have done is really, it's a heroic moment. It sounds like Zometry ends up being kind of a, a, a part of filling the gaps in a company where maybe the owner they don't have a sales team or they don't know how to sell or they don't know how to market. And you know, one of the things we try to do here at Making Chips is we try to teach people how to develop those skills and to be able to do those things for themselves. So where's the healthy balance between saying, okay, I'm just going to be all in on Zometry and not even have a sales department versus I'm going to try to learn these techniques myself. I love this good question. question. That is a good question. So I was sitting at, I love this question. So I was sitting in a restaurant in Schaumburg last night. Yep. And the restaurant was about half full. But I was watching this woman dashing from the front to the back of the restaurant all night. Mm-hmm. This restaurant. She was working there. Yes. Okay. The takeout business that oh. this restaurant was doing. So she was filling your water, taking your order, and, and then she went back and, and cooked it. <laughs> no, no, but, <laughs> maybe not quite that far. No, no, not quite that part. But there was a maybe half capacity dining in. Sure. And then this train of to go boxes, you know, to go bags. Right. And so it goes to what you've said, which is we have had a dine in restaurant. 
Mm-hmm. Right? You can come to us for revenue, but you wouldn't have the relationship with the client. On the other hand, you get a guaranteed price, and so does the customer. And that's going to be our healthy dine-in business. Mm-hmm. But through through COVID and through our own business strategy, we're going to have a takeout and a drive-through. We're going to have we have a active and robust. It's one of the best rollouts I've ever seen. And as you pointed out. I've been here for a minute in terms of implementation on an RFQ marketplace. So we're now able to work with our partners and customers to facilitate a really healthy RFQ exchange. And now we're going to have a drive-through. We will, in 2021, you will be able to, a customer will be able to come to Zometry, find a supplier, right? Find a partner and directly transact with them in e-commerce. So Talk about, oh, that's a, interesting. talk about a long answer to a short question. And it made me think of this restaurant is we've been dine-in, but in 2021, we will be dine-in, take-out, and drive-through. Mm-hmm. You can have their two, they're going to be one way to have a relationship with Zometry and two different ways to have a relationship directly with the customer for our partners. Okay, that's interesting. We welcome that. It's a little bit of cannibalization, but I mean, I guess if you're going to be cannibalized, you might as well do it yourself as the old adage goes. Don't you think? And yeah. Then also, yeah, but that makes sense. And I'm going to double down on this. The financial products that we offer, the supplies that we can provide without any outlay on the part of the partner, a couple innovations I want to talk about, they apply, they help a shop, whether the shop's working directly with Zom, whether they're an RFQ, you know, they're in an RFQ situation, or if they want to direct have a direct e-commerce relationship. What would, be the, what would be the benefits of them, the customer working, your customer working directly with the partner and not through you? Aren't you concerned that they're going the, the customer is just gonna sidestep well, you she's, and go? What she's saying is they're creating a program for them to do that. But no, but that's the right question. So every time I've been hitting the books, Randy, who you guys know very yeah. well, our CEO. And our COO, Peter, have had me really like hit the books and talk about marketplace companies. And the sum has to be greater than the parts. So if you as a manufacturer working directly with the customer on Zometry's platform are able to get supplies on the advance card, if you're able to do a fast pay product, if you're able to get discounted supplies and materials, and then I want to talk about a couple other things we're going to offer, that's bigger than you, what you could get working directly with that customer. I understand now. And so I'm all in. When it's I, different. It's different. And where I'm at in my career, I'm looking to make big bets. I'm in on this. I think this is going to well, work. It, it's kind of interesting because I know I live in the city of Chicago and getting food delivered is a normal thing for us. And I know during like the pandemic, during the, the, the heat of it, Grubhub was a big deal. And when you would go there, even if you place an order for pickup, you go there to the restaurant and they'd be like, place the orders directly with us. They'd have signs posted because Grubhub's killing us. You know what I mean? They're taking all. And and I think that maybe to a certain degree, maybe Grubhub got greedy. I don't know this. I don't know the numbers. I don't know what percentage they were taking. I'm just going based on what I was being told by some of these restaurants. Because, you know, I would go into the restaurant. I would ask questions, be like, you know, what's going on? They're like, well, they take too much money. They charge you a fee and then they they really stick it to us. And and I think it might have bit him in the butt because like people like me are like, okay, yeah, I'm going to support you. I know you and I want to call you up and make sure that you get 100% of the money that I'm paying you. 100%. And then what we might think about for them is what would it have been like if they were offering a suite of services to that restaurant that were bigger than whatever that cut well, maybe is you that guys they should were buy taking? Well, I got to say, I think I already have with the amount of deliveries I've been at my house. So I, I may be a silent partner investor. with them already. Yeah. They just don't know yet. Yeah, but does that make sense? Like yep. what I go to is what, what else were they doing for their restaurants? Yep, absolutely. 
Jen, we need more manufacturing in the United we States. We do. So I want to throw a couple things out there. Our country, and I would argue that most countries are stronger when they have a stronger manufacturing base. So a couple different stories. We had a new team member that we just welcomed to making chips. His name is Salim. He's a U.S. citizen, ironically. He's got a U.S. passport, but he's just stepped foot in in the United States for the first time in his life. It's kind of an interesting story. We'll probably tell it on Making Chips at some point in the future. But he went right right here to the United States, stepped foot into Rockford, and he's part of the Making Chips team. One of the reasons he left Lebanon was they're in such a bad economic situation. And they systematically removed a lot of their manufacturing from the country in favor of banking and tourism. Because, you know, Banking, I guess, and tourism is cooler than manufacturing, according to some people. I disagree, but a lot of people think that way. And Maybe they thought it was going to be more they profitable. They thought it was going to be better. and They thought it was going to be really lucrative. And now they're suffering because of it, because they've they've eliminated their manufacturing for the most part. Our friend, who you know him as well, Andrew Crow, he was telling me that the percentage of GDP from manufacturing in the United States is on par with Afghanistan. Can you believe that? No. I mean, that's crazy. Whereas a lot of our counterparts in Europe, say like, like Germany, Germany, they're twice the, the manufacturing GDP that we have. Who do you, who do you blame that on? I blame it I on mean, our politicians, but let's not, you know, let's not that, get that's, political. That's kind of a, yeah, that's kind of a hard place to go right now. And, and I blame it on both sides of the aisle. I'm, I'm not like a Democrat yeah. or a Republican. We've always been, you know, a big advocate of diverse voices. And I think the only way for us to strengthen manufacturing. And I, I don't see this in my eyes, my worldview. I don't see this as, as much of a social issue as this is a manufacturing issue. We need more people to embrace being manufacturing leaders and we need to strengthen their voices so that they can come into that industry. And since the very beginning of making chips, we've been saying for we've been a long trying. time, we need to find a place for women leaders in manufacturing totally. and they make it better. They can bring some new things to the industry. So yeah. I guess my question to you, Jen, is how can a platform like Zometry increase manufacturing mm. entrepreneurship yes. here in the United States and promote that manufacturing leadership where we can get from 11% up to that 20% because we need more people to embrace manufacturing. One of the things that we know about women is that, and this goes with the talent crunch in manufacturing, when women, especially women with families, but when all women find a job that works for them, they will stay there and they wouldn't leave for a 20% pay increase. Mm. The it's motive, that stability, I think, stability. and that consistency. You know, they like to see that tomorrow is going to be very similar to today. That's right. But also, and the things that we can offer women in manufacturing, and I'll, I'll give a great example. I hired for years into third shift, graveyard shift manufacturing jobs. And I would sit around with people, largely men, who would say, women will never work graveyard. I'm like, well, what's weird is you're not a woman. And we're going to do this weird thing. We're going to ask them first before we right. say what they won't do. Right. If you want to tuck your kids into bed at night and wait and get them ready for school in the morning, third shift manufacturing is a well-paying job where you can see your family. That's what I think we may have missed and that we're doing more of. You guys are helping with this, which is it's no longer thought of as like smoky and you're going to get your arm cut off, but it is thought of as is manufacturing work for me with a family. And I, I'm ready. I want to say to women, this is the best job for your family. Think of our shifts, seven to three, three to 11, midnight. Two of those shifts allow you to see your family much more than a traditional job. I agree. Jen, I love that the team at Zometry is really thinking out of the box yes. as to how yes. manufacturing is going to shape within their 
network and their infrastructure. And I think that that's great. I think that more manufacturing leaders out there need to think a couple years out and say, how do we help our customers more? Jim, we just did that sales meeting with DMG just recently. And one of the things that I recommended to that sales team was add value to your client base beyond just selling them the machine tools. That was one of the big overlying points that I left to them. And I think that's one of the things that you guys have thought about is like, how do we add value in a way that's going to make ourselves even more important to that manufacturing client in the future? Or as an old school sales guy told me once, build that wall higher for your competition to jump over. (laughs) You know? I like like it. Yeah. I always tell my team, I don't ever want a bunch of people just agreeing with me. Like, right. tell, tell me when I'm doing something wrong. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of this stuff also correlates to, you know, us here at Making Chips. I mean, we started out as a podcast. Now we're offering marketing services For to manufacturers. manufacturing leaders. Yes. And just to let the cat out of the bag a little bit as it relates to our future, we did hold an event or we tried to hold an event a couple of years ago. And I still see that as a very important part of who Making Chips is about. And so we are going to be having an event in the future. And we even have like an educational component of making chips that that is going to be hopefully introduced in 2021. So yeah. we've got some other great things going on as we well. We do. With two visionaries in this uh, business, it's, it's hard not to separate ourselves from all these great ideas that they have. Yeah, but you know what, Jim? You can't just come up with ideas. At some point, you got to go into the shop and you got to make some chips. I agree. Because if you're not making chips... You're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com. Jim's neurons yeah, I'm are thinking. Firing. Yeah, they're just trying <laughs> the to connect right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, exactly, Jim. <laughs>